Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm with First Church Ministries, a teacher, and uh, we are going through Genesis, and we are in chapter 15 of Genesis. I'm going to open us in prayer. Um, Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you for um, your love that we see um, in the people you dealt with in Genesis and your concern for us. And Lord, I ask as we study your word that we might be able to um, <clears throat> draw closer to you, to love you more, and to honor you. We pray in your name, Jesus. So we were in Genesis. I've got a little frog in my throat. <clears> throat> I can sign this medicine draining. Um, and um, as, as we see here, the, the key verse that we're talking about, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And uh, I would think a lot about that. That might come into some of my discussion today on, on this. Uh, uh, I, I have not have as much of a prepared discussion today, so we'll be talking a little about that too and why we're doing it the way we're doing it. Um, I will run through real quickly Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, there's a prologue. There's the story of creation of mankind, history of the world, history of God's chosen people, uh, his story, God's story. And, um, and that we have gone through the first five um, uh, generations of that are in Genesis and that um, we are now in the patriarchal history now. We're actually in the generations of Terah, which really is the story of, of uh, Abram. Uh, and uh, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So that Ab Abram, at the end of chapter 14 that we, we stopped at, we talked about Melchizedek. And I uh, actually did a little section on Melchizedek, if you listened afterwards, uh, from, um, from Hebrews. Some people, this is called, in, in the Old Testament, there are certain times where God becomes more transparent or we're able to see him better. Those are called theophanies. Uh, theo from God, like we get uh, study of God, theology, and phani, which is phanea, I think, phaneria, which means really to illuminate, okay? So there is an illumination of something that becomes revealed. And so we get this re revelation of God. And, and there is some question whether or not this was, uh, uh, you know, um, Melchizedek was an actual person, whether it was an incarnation that God came in and because he has no history and he goes out of the picture after this, um, or whether it was an angel that was sent in there. And yet we see that it, was, it does say he was king of Salem, which is king of peace. So it seems to be rooted historically that he was a person. But we see, uh, again, this theophany that comes up. And that's going to happen several times as we go through Genesis. And so I want to sort of point that out to you, because after this, after this, um, Melchizedek offers his thank offering uh, for Abram's safety and the return of everybody, um, God meets with Abram again in chapter 15. And we look at 15, and um, uh, I'm going to um, um, start, start on that. Uh, I actually have my new international version here. This is going to be slightly different, so, but I'm going to read it from here because that's what I grew up with. Um, this is the English Standard Version that you can follow along on if you want to. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your, your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant of my household will be 
my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, the man, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming out of your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God and he credited him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land and take possession of it. But Abraham said, um, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said, bring me a heifer, heifer a goat, a ram, uh, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought these three to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And the birds of prey came down to the carcass, but Abram drove them away. And we'll stop there and we'll talk about the first part. Um, actually, let's go on and finish up the whole chapter. Um, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that you and your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, for the sin of the Amorites have not yet reached their full measure. And, the sun, and when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants... I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, in the land of the Kenites, Kenzanites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. A lot of sites there. Um, so, the, so this section here, I, so let's go back at the very beginning. This is such an all-encompassing section. In fact, um, we'll have to go into the New Testament to see the full significance of this. But... I, just as I was looking at this, um, it, it, my uh, my NIV it, this did not set it off, but but verse um, is when God says to Abraham, "Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great, um, yeah, or um, your very great reward." So I, I was on time today to come to teach, and I told it because it was I told um, Jose it was because. I didn't open my Bible on this section to read it before I left for a thing, because otherwise I'd be late because I'm always in. So what struck me um, on this, as we look at this, is, is God saying, don't be afraid, Abram. We hear that when God appears or angels appear, the first thing they say, don't be afraid, okay? You'll be afraid about things um, because it's an awesome thing to see God. Um, but here's, here's the interesting thing. I never really noticed when he says, I am your shield, your very great reward. He doesn't, here it says, your reward shall be very great, but here in the NIV, the translation, and again, the Hebrew leaves some way, leeway in in the interpretation of it. Uh, I am your shield, your very great reward. And what struck me is, that is our reward. God is our reward. Our being with God and being God's friend is the reward of our life. Um, It is what we were made for. It is, uh, it is the, the ultimate, it, but we pass over that, and, and Abraham passed over that, okay? You see the things, that, but Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, so he recognizes God's sovereignty as omnipotence, 
What can you give me since I remain childless and the one to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So he, he, he passes over that in that sense of relationship with God. He recognizes God's power and his awesomeness. What he doesn't seem to fully appreciate is his relationship with God. Okay, And that grows over time. In fact, it reaches um, the epitome, hopefully what we cover next week or the week after that. But um, his focus is on earthly things still. And, and, and interestingly, he gets it from the earthly perspective. Okay, we miss this a lot of times, but, but he, he says, what can you give me? I have everything I want, he says, but I don't have a child. I don't, I don't have a child. Well, and there are many people who can't have children. There are single people, there's people that are married that they just can't conceive, and, and um, it's just many different reasons you cannot and maybe have children. But, but this is Abram saying, what can you give me? What more can you give me? I don't have a child to carry out. And so, so why is that important? Well, because we are part of a community and a unity, and, and having children is an expression of that for us, okay? So... It's not that having children is the important thing. It is important uh, because, because he says here, it's, there's one in my household who will inherit after me, uh, um, you know, um, Eleazar, Damascus, who's his head servant. But still, it's like, that's not, a, that's not enough. He wants a child because he wants to be part of a family and a community. And so... Um, I think we pass that over sometimes, the fact that God is our great reward, and that aside from that, our great reward is our community. Okay? Not, not a child, per se. Abram longed for the child, and, and the child, I think, was implanted, that desire was implanted by God because um, he became an image of God when he had to sacrifice Isaac. Um, but take it for what it's worth on this one. Uh, that, that's what I, as I was thinking about, and I have not worked out, this out as much. This, that's what I was thinking about when I first read this passage this morning um, as we were reading. Um, so we are talking now about uh, God coming to Abraham and saying, I'm your great reward. And, and Abram coming back and saying, Sovereign Lord, it's great, but, but what can you give me? I don't have a son to inherit after me. So all I have will be lost after me, okay? And we know now that, that, that it, is a, it, is, it is the city of God, the, the, the community of God that um, uh, inherits spiritually in real thing. But in those days, and as God is, is working through families, he works through people, he works through families. And so I, without a child, the, the, his, his lineage um, ceases, okay? And, and, and again, he's not quite at the level spiritually and realizes the spiritual lineage is more important than the physical one, but it's, it's there. And he says, what, what can you give me? There's this longing in us to go on existing after we die. And that can find expression as children or it can find expression, as we know, as believers, is in being part of the body of God, that we are the church, uh, church of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so God says, but, but God deals with us where we are. He deals with us where we are, and he says, not so, not so. 
This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and accredited to him his righteousness. So, so God comes to him and says, I'm your great reward. Abraham doesn't quite get it, okay? And he says, but what can you give me? I ha- you've given me everything, but a child, I, I don't, there's not an exist, there's not the continuity there after I, and he said, no, no, I will give you a child. You will have a son, and he will be your heir. Um, and so a physical heir, okay? And, and we will see later, as we go into Romans 4 later um, uh, in this session, that, we're, that um, Romans 4, he's the father of all who believe spiritually. So the lineage of Abraham is much greater than the physical lineage. It's a spiritual lineage. Um, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Now, uh, this is picked up in chapter 4. This has uh, been picked up by many great um, uh, people, not just in, in, in uh, Romans 4, but in Galatians. Paul picked it up again. And Martin Luther, the idea that all God really wants from us is for us to believe him and to love him, to care, to be with him. Okay, And Abraham believed him, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't do anything. In fact, we're going to find out. After, uh, after this point, he made several other mistakes, worse than his first mistake of giving his wife away in Egypt. He made some other mistakes. But that's not what a relationship with God is about. A relationship with God is not about doing the right thing. It's loving the right person. It's being in a relationship with God. It's really wanting to please God. It, 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 and and um, God cares more about us trying to please him than what we do. Okay. Now, unless you say, yeah, but we, many people try to please God and do it the wrong way. Um, yes, and that's why he gave us scripture to help us understand the right way to please, what is pleasing in his sight. But I'm saying if your heart is pure, if you're really trying to please God, that's pleasant to God. That's something God wants. Um, and so it's important we know scripture so we know how to please him most. Okay, If you're dating somebody, you're married, you you, you, you want to figure out how to please that person, okay? Because their happiness is important to you. And that's what's going on in this situation. And I don't want to be too familiar on this, but that's actually happened on the God side too. God wants to please us. God wants to make us happy. And God knows that that's Abraham's desire, the desire of Abraham's heart. He implanted it into Abraham's heart. Um, and, and it'll be later used when, uh, when Abram um, calls him to sacrifice Isaac. But, but he also wants to please us. He, he wants us to be happy. And so we see this, and Abram believing him and accrediting him as righteousness. And then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. Now, just recall that he came from Haran. He was in Ur of Chaldees, went to Haran, because his father Terah, these are the generations of Terah we're talking about, uh, was going to go to Canaan, but Terah settled down. He, he didn't grasp all of what God wanted for him. But after that, God came back to Abraham and said, Abram, you go to Canaan. And so God's there. I'm the one who brought you out of that. And then Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? Now this is interesting because it's not, God is not, Abram's not doubting God. 
um, promise for the children. But there is a question of how well I know I will gain the land. Okay, so there's two issues here. We need to keep them a bit separate. They're related. An heir for him, which he believed in, right? And then I will give you this land. He's saying, how, how will I know that? And it's not um, that it's per se that he's doubting it. It's just that he's saying, what reassurance can you offer me? So I will know. You know I, sometimes we need that reassurance. God is happy to give us reassurances. He's just not happy that we don't have faith. So we walk, we have, faith is, is walking by what we don't see. But Abraham had that faith. He believed him. But there was also a question of assurance. It was not a question of doubt in God. But it was a question, can you assure me? And God said, I will do that. And he brought him in and he told him to take a heifer, uh, heifer a goat, and a ram, and, and some uh, birds and split them in half. And, and Pastor Bob has talked several times about what the covenant is like. Uh, basically, um, God passes through as a smoke pot there and passes through. And, and the idea is that if you break the covenant, you'll be rent asunder like these animals are. Uh, and so he passes through there and he says, uh, you will inherit this. But and this, is, this is interesting. God says, know that you'll be, that your people will be enslaved for 400 years. Now, that was nowhere in the original part. Okay, so, but now God is actually pulling back the veil and saying, they'll be there 400 years because I'm giving the Canaanites a chance to repent and stuff. The, Amor the sin of the Amorites has not reached its peak, is what he says here. And so there is a, there is a dynamic, there's a culture in there that God might salvage parts of that. You know, it, it's gone bad, and we'll see in Sodom and Gomorrah in a couple of chapters that things are very bad in Canaan. But, um, but he's saying, I, I don't wipe out people. I, I, I work with people. I try to get the people to change. And it'll be, he can foresee that 400 years from now, the things will reach their peak. He also says they'll be enslaved. So these are, these, first he says, I'm going to give you an heir to inherit everything. He says, oh, by the way, his descendants are going to be slaves in this land. Uh, but, but then God reassures him, I will punish the person who did that, and they will leave with great possession. So really, the fruit of their hard labor, um, actually the Israelites left with. They, they, they plundered the Egyptians, they said. They asked for golden ornaments, and their neighbors gave it to them, and it says they plundered the Egyptians. And so they did not leave as slaves. They, well, maybe they did as free slaves, but as rich free slave, slaves, and uh, proceeded into the wilderness. And so um, we, we just need to understand God will take care of us. Um, and, uh, and he pulls back the, the future for him to see this covenant that's going to be there. This possibly is in here because, again, the, the um, Israelites are receiving this uh, text as they are at Mount Sinai, and so this is sort of explaining to them what has happened, and that God knew this was going to happen, and this was prophesied beforehand. Um, but um, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. And then when the, the sun goes down, uh, he passes through, and, uh, and that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, and this is, again, the second covenant that's, uh, that's mentioned in Scripture. The first one is Noahic covenant, where he makes with all creation, not just mankind, that he will never destroy the earth again. And this one is, I will give to your uh, descendants the land. Okay? And th th 
So the land is the promise in the covenant, but the descendants are part of that promise also, because if you don't have descendants, you can't inherit the land. So it's all tied together. But the covenant, I'm not real sure the covenant is with, um, as, the, as the child, okay? It's, it's, you will have descendants and they will be in the land, okay? And we will talk more about that as we go along on this. Um, so here we see Abraham's faith is all that's required for him to have favor in God's sight. Um, now we're going to go into this next section where um, he does not um, he does not actually uh, he tries to help God along. We all try to help God along. He's like, you know, yeah, God, you said you said you want me happy. This will make me happy, and we do something we shouldn't really do like that. So, so um, let's go to this next section. Again, I'm still reading from the NIV, and you say, why do you have ESV up there? Well, number one, that's translation people are using now, okay? And number two, you can't actually get this text anymore. The NIV is updated as text, it's changed. So I'm using an old 1984 version, not the, the stuff that was revised in the 21st century. So some term changes. But that, just for the disparity here, I want to let you know. And now Sarai, uh, and Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. Now, this is the other thing. So I, I didn't really cover this. Let me cover this real quick on ages before we go on here. So when Abram is called in uh, Haran to go to Canaan, he's about 75 years old. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 75 years old. Then when we, he actually uh, is, then goes to Egypt and then he rescues Lot, and after that, when he makes a covenant with God, he's about 80 to 85 years old. Okay, so now, now, uh, uh, now he's about 86. Okay, so, so is, this has been at least several years since he's had uh, this first vision. So it's not like Sarah comes from right afterwards, and Abraham probably said, oh, I'm going to have children. God promised me. He probably shared it. It's not like she said right away. It's like she still didn't have children after several years. And so she comes to Abram uh, and says, um, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I, perhaps I can build a family through her. And again, this was an accepted way of barrenless women to have children. They basically was an adoption process, adoption at birth of, a, of the child as their own. Um, and so Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in uh, Canaan 10 years, okay, he left at 75 to come here, and now it's, he's about 85, 86. Um, Sarah took his, Sarah, Sarai, took, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from him, from her, excuse me. Um, and the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, 
where you've come, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Very similar promise that was made to, to Abram in a sense. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now a child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has blessed and heard of your, uh, heard of your mystery, misery, and Ishmael means God hears. Um, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And she gave, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well is called Bered-Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name uh, Ishmael to his son, and she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, so quick chronology, again, 75. In the 10 years that pass, he's in Canaan, he goes to Egypt, he rescues Lot, and then he gets this promise. And... Um, and then several more years pass in that time, in this 10-year period. And then, I mean, Hagar is not, I mean, Sarah is not conceiving. She gives her Hagar. Hagar, just give you a little table of nations type stuff. Hagar's Egyptian. And Ishmael is the, uh, the 12 tribes that come from him. And 12, 12 princes come from him, excuse me, are the Arab princes. So Ishmael is, is the heir to the Arabs. Um, and, and God blesses them. He blesses Ishmael as well as this, um, the um, Isaac and Jacob. So um, we have that here, and so there's really no room for anti-Semitism. There's no room for anti-Arab either. There's no room for the these anti-race things that get God because God deals with us as individuals. He deals with us corporally too. And there are traits that sometimes he punishes a nation for. Um, does that very often, actually. In fact, judgments tend to happen on, th on that scale from time to time, and nations rise and fall because of that. He judges us individually as we go along. Nations tend to have to reach a certain point before they're judged, but that's sort of a digression on this. So Abram's trying to help God along. Now, it was Sarai that suggested it, but Sarai probably acutely felt the pressure there. She's trying to give Abram an out and God an out. To, to, and so, so she says it. I'm not sure if the offer was made. I, it was made in good faith, but it was almost maybe made with the idea of, no, I, I don't know. But, but once she, she, she does conceive, and Hagar starts despising her, then, then Sarai knows that she has to get rid of this person. Um, and so she, she actually mistreats her, which is wrong. Again, we do this. The beauty of Scripture is that it tells us all. The problem can be is sometimes you think it's okay what it says, okay? Just because something's reported in Scripture does not mean there's any endorsement of it, okay? And there's no endorsement here of Sarai mistreating Hagar and driving her away. In fact, quite the opposite, because an angel comes and takes her and sends her back. The other thing I'll have you note in this passage, 
is it, it takes great pains to say where the spring is and that it's still there and stuff like that. This is historically accurate, okay? And, and the writer here, and who, who gets this from God, um, is actually reporting events that can be verified by these people. So it's, it's not like it's, um, our, our faith is an historical faith. It depends upon the truth of scriptures. But Scripture gives us reason to understand and support it. Sometimes we read too much into Scripture, um, and we say some, it says something that it doesn't say. But Scripture is accurate. It's worth uh, we can depend on it, and, and the, this kind of passage shows us we can depend on it. Um, it also tells us to pay attention to what God says, because. Again, anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Arab, there's no place for that in, in the faith and faith with God. Okay? There are times when nations act badly and may need to be judged and punished, but the people in them are worthy of God's love. They're made in his image, and God has a plan for them. And just because Israel is the blessed, is the blessed race through, through the Old Testament and, and serves as the womb of the Christ, the Messiah. Um, but other nations are blessed by God too. Okay, we see here that the Arab nations are going to be blessed. We know uh, in Babylon, when the Babylonian thing, that God blessed the Babylonians at a time. Uh, he blessed the Persians. There are times he raises up kingdoms to judge other kingdoms, and he blesses them too. Um, so God's, God's vision is much richer than what we sometimes narrow it down to in the Old Testament. Um, and so uh, Hagar comes back, and Ishmael is born. And then we see in uh, chapter 17, when Abraham was 99 years old. Now, again, that's 13 years later. So you could say, I'm glad I gave the time, but, but we might have said, now 13 years later, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly bless your numbers. So. We, we, I, you get the impression from the way this is said that, that Abram is not in day, he doesn't have a daily quiet time with God when God talks with him, okay? That these visions are spaced apart. And that's, again, one of the blessings we have as believers is the Holy Spirit lives in us, okay? That's not so here. And Abram walks by faith for these 13 years, uh, maybe a little more. Uh, and God appears to him and says, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will confirm my covenant between me and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham fell face down, and, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, uh, which is, um, I have to say, uh, slips my mind, um, exalted father, um, Abram, um, but you will be called Abraham, which is really means the father of many. So the ah added in there takes it from exalted father to father of many. And I have made for you made for you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, now as an alien, I will give it to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. I, 
again, I, I don't mean to be irreverent, it's a, but it's almost like God is gushing. And God is, I'm going to pour out my blessings. I'm just going to bless you. I, you know, I'm going to, I, I'm, I, uh, I will make you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. God is declaring himself fully to Abraham. So, so 13 years ago, Abram believed him and gave him in, in the promise and was credited him as righteousness. Now Abram has a child, he's 13. Now again, there's a promised heir out there and, and Abram's thinking Ishmael, but, but God has other plans. Um, and he says, I, I, um, I will give an everlasting, give Canaan his everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is the covenant, my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh will be an everlasting covenant, and any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people and been broken my covenant. Okay, let me talk a little about this. Um, I used to teach a youth study, and Galatians, we went through a couple times. When we got to circumcision, some of the kids didn't know what that was. So uh, if, if you're a younger one looking, you might want to look that up more, okay? Um, a very painful procedure, but basically um, the f removing the foreskin of the, the penis. And um, this was actually probably practiced at the time among other nations, okay? So covenant signs are not necessarily new signs or special signs. It's like stones of remembrance are still stones before you pick them up and as a remembrance, but it, it achieves something special. Just like the bread and the wine for communion was there beforehand, it still gave special significance to the bread and wine. And so um, circumcision became that sign. And um, there's, a, there's a sort of um, um, a submission. So, so um, again, um, fecundity, sexual um, uh, uh, sex is, is a gift of God and also uh, a gift in uh, not of just pleasure but also of having children, being able to have children. And the excising of the foreskin is sort of a removal of the earth, uh, uh, symbolic of an earthly desire of removal of, of uh, things. And, and so scripture, when it talks about circumcision in the Old Testament, um, if it's not actually saying how you are to circumcise or something, uh, Ashley talks about circumcision two ways. One is circumcision, which is the physical one, and the other one that goes through there is circumcision of the heart. Because just like uh, our physical bodies have need to be cleansed, our heart has a need to be cleansed, a deeper cleansing. And circumcision is to remove the, the hardness of our heart, to open our heart to God. And so if you look up, if you have a um, referencing, you look up circumcision, you'll see in the Old Testament there's at least... Um, um, there are a significant number of references to circumcision of the heart, uh, at least half a dozen in different books. Um, 
in there, and, and, and that's what God wants from us, okay? Um, he wants a, a circumcised heart. But this symbol here is to establish in them the fact that they are a separate people, okay? So while circumcision was practiced, it was not practiced on this, this scale. And, this, and by doing this, it sets them apart from the neighboring nations. And we will see that uh, later on uh, towards the end of Jacob where a whole town is circumcised so they can try to fit in with the Israelites, okay? So we have that, that covenant there. I'm just want, and I will probably come back to the covenant part of that as we go along. And God also said to Abram, verse 15, as, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, for her name shall be Sarah. And I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abram fell fa face down and laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now, now this is a very, there's a lot in here. Now, I'm not sure, you can spend a lot of time on this. So Abram falls face down and he laughs. In, in God's presence, he laughs and says, um, will, will I really have a kid when I'm 100 years old? And will Sarah bear a child at age 90? Now, I think this is a nervous laugh. I, 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 think, I don't think he's saying it's ridiculous. He's just, sometimes when something just blows you away, you laugh in uncomfortableness. I, in fact, I was talking with Jose before that we have a friend that sometimes laughs when they get very nervous about something in, a, in, in an environment and it comes across as inappropriate because it's not a laughing matter type thing. I don't think Abraham was laughing at God, <laughs> okay, obviously. So he, he, um, he says, uh, will really this happen? And Abram says to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now, that is an interesting thing. So it really does seem that Abram has given God an out there. Um, yeah, thank, thanks, thanks for the thought, God. But, you know, just, if you could just do this for me, that'd be enough. Um, I'm not sure it's that. Again, this is something that you have to think through for yourself. It could be in the, in the Middle East, often they would do some kind of de minimis type thing. In other words, like when, um, when Abram wants to bury Sarah, um, the guy says, no, I give you the land to you, I give it to you. And he, and he says, no, no, I will pay you for it. And he says, oh, it's worth 400 shekels, but what is that among friends? And, and then he pays it out. But, he's, but the, I give it to you and stuff like that is more of a, so it, it, it's, this may be, a, I don't think it is, but it could be a setup of Abraham saying, that's okay, God, that's okay. I, I relieve you of your obligation in the hopes that he will continue with this, okay? And he does. God does. Then God says, yes, but your, Sarah, your wife Sarah will, will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac. So from the response, you seem to, you seem to think um, that, uh, and by the way, Isaac means laughter, okay? So uh, it seems to think that, that Abraham just is so amused by the idea of having a baby. He has, he has a child, okay? He's happy with that. He's probably saying, I'm happy with what I have, God. If only you would do that. I'm happy, okay? And God says, no, nope, but, but no, you know, there's some game shows where they did this and this, but there's more, you know? And this is, this is God like, no, but there's more. 
your wife Sarah will bear a son and call him Isaac, laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him and make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him to a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by the coming by this time next year. And when he finished speaking with Abram, God went, away, went, up, God went up from him. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household and bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. And Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13. And Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on the same day. And every male of Abram's household, including those born in his household, or bought from him from a foreigner, was circumcised that day. So, by the way, there were 318 men, fighting men, that went and relieved Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're talking about several hundred people being circumcised that day. Uh, we also know later in Scripture that the whole town gets circumcised um, to melt him with the uh, Israelites and, the, and why they're still in pain. Two men, or two of the sons of Jacob, are able to kill them all. So you are immobilized. So for him to do that to everybody is foolish from their world standpoint. Anybody could have destroyed them at that point. But Abraham trusts God. Abram believes God. Abram's excited. You, you, I mean, you, it's a very painful procedure, and and you don't do. And he did it to everybody including his son. He risked everything because you get infections can set in, people can hurt. When you're circumcised, especially older, it can be very not only traumatic but dangerous. And so this is all done in good faith for, for, um, for Abram. So, um, so what does this all mean? What does this mean for me? What is, what is this in here? Well, I'm going to get a little bit more into um, Hagar and Sarah and uh, Ishmael and Isaac later on as we go through here. But right now, um, I want to talk a little about um, Romans chapter 4. Because going back to that very first promise um, in, in uh, Genesis uh, 15, where he said, Don't be afraid, Abram. I mean, you shield your very great reward and then promised him that he would have uh, descendants and um, the Lord believed him. I'm, I'm sorry, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then we go into Romans chapter 4, and we see the significance of this. So, um, what should we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, um, discovered in this matter? Okay, that's for Jewish people. Okay, he's not his forefather in the flesh um, for, um, for all nations, except he is in the sense that he's representative of mankind, okay? Um, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the ones who the Lord will never, the, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So, 
So he's saying here um, that um, Abraham believed God. That, that, that was the point. So we, we need to be, there, there's something called uh, anachronism uh, uh, where you, you go back, um, you, you project something backwards that didn't really exist. So the question is, um, when, did, um, when did Abraham become a Christian? Okay, well, and you say, well, he never knew Christ. Well, Jesus said, Abraham saw me, saw my day and was glad of it. So in some sense, Abraham had to know Christ. Might not know the name Jesus and Christ. In the, in the, in, Christ means anointed one. So, uh, but he, Jesus, he might not know the name of Jesus, and yet he knew Jesus. He knew what was going on here. But when did, when did he become a Christian? When did Abram become a Christian? When did he become a believer? Here, when he believed him, and it was credited in righteousness. Now, um, now, the Jewish people would say that circumcision is that sign of, of the faith. Okay? But it's interesting because the sign, the covenant, the sign was sealed with the lambs, the animals being torn apart and God passing through them. It was not circumcision. Circumcision was given, remember, 13 years later. If I want to talk about that, and then, I'll, then we'll take this whole passage. Um, is this blessed for only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have seen that Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, by the way, 13 years later a seal of righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is the, also the father of the circumcised, not only who are circumcised, but who follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So now Paul says this. So, so, um, and this is why I react so strongly with... Um, um, older dispensational thought that says that, that, that the Jews will live in eternity in a new earth and Christians will be in heaven because there's not a difference here. He's saying that Abraham is our father. He's saying that Abraham is our father and in, in the, in the, in, he's not going to have a lesser blessing than, than, than we are. It's ridiculous. I, I just, it really is. It's ridiculous. And so the promise here is that, that we are all one, we're one body. And I have to say, we, Western society has valued the individual more than, let's say, Eastern societies has many times. Uh, America has taken it to an extreme. It's all about us, okay? I, I, I don't want to get into political debate now about mask and, and individual voting and all this other stuff that's going on here. I mean, that's a, a whole ball of that I don't want to untangle. I can't untangle right here, but, but I will say this. We are much too concerned with ourselves and not about others. In America, it's all about us, okay? And even when we do it as a group, it's about us. It's so we do it as a group so it'll make better for us individually. And it's like, it's not all about us individually. It's about us as a community, okay? The two great commands are love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. And we never seek to consider why is that second one even in there? It's because 
one day we're all one body. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We are one body and, our, and what helps us, one helps all, okay? But we don't do it because of that, because it helps us. We do it because we're part of a body and we want to take care of our body. We want to take care of it. So, so he's talking about here that there were all part of that body, all who believe, all who have faith in God. And, and faith is, so every person walks individually over that crosshold of faith. When they walk over it, they walk into a body of believers. Okay, not in, it's, you don't see a lot of imagery of God one-on-one -on -one with people. You see a lot of imagery of the kingdom of God, the people of God. You see that over and over again. That does not mean that we will not know God in a personal way. We will. But the corporateness is just as important. The beauty of being with people that all are aligned and love God and want and are joyful for the blessings of God. Okay. Um, and again, I know this is a diversion, but it's been, it's, I, I was talking with my son, I was talking with my wife. We are an incredibly unthankful people. We are, I, I, I was talking, if you were born before 1900, I don't care what strata you were born to, we live so much better than they do. Now, I, I know there are very individual cases. There are some people that have crippling diseases, and there are some people that don't have food, and there are some people that don't have housing, okay? But as a whole, the people that, that, that I'm talking to now, you have a house. You don't know the debt I have. You don't, listen, you have a phone that you can pick up. You can get, in, you get in, 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 instant information. You have a car you can drive. You, there, we have so many blessings. You say, but, it, but, but they have so much. Other people have more. They have a nicer house, a nicer car, a nicer thing. Or it's not that. It's just that I, I wish I had this or that. I'm telling you, we will never be satisfied with what God gives us until we're satisfied with it, until we're thankful for what we have. God gives us what we need um, and um, not what we deserve. So if you don't have stuff, it's not because you don't do God gave it to me and I deserve it and you don't. God gives us much more than we deserve, all of us, all the time. Um, but um, here, this is, talking about this, I, I want this last section and, and we're, we're done. Um, I know it's a long session. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, it was not through the law that Abraham and an offspring received the promise that we, he would be heir of the world through all the righteousness that comes from faith. For those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing to the prom Faith means nothing in the. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom we believed. And God gave, the God who gave life to the dead and calls into uh, being things that are not. So that, that's a continuation of the fatherhood of God. This last section I want you to really concentrate on because it's what appears is in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God does the miraculous. God does it all the time. He, 
every conception is a miracle. We see so many miracles that we just pass them by day by day. That, 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 that uh, plants propagate, that we see the beauty of flowers and stuff like that. Those are miracles, okay, that our eyes are adjusted to be able to see those. All miracles that we pass by day by day. Um, but, but that's not the biggest of things, okay. Against all hope, Abram believed and Abram and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So he didn't doubt God. He just it was just such a amusing idea that he could have a kid. The blessing and he believed. And that is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us to believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over for our death, over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justifications. Ultimately, there was going to have to be a sacrifice from Abram. Okay? Because Abram had an idol in his heart. We'll talk about that later. Um, there was something that became more important to him than God was, and God will not allow that. That debt um, had to be paid by the giving of Christ. Christ had to die for our sins. There was a penalty for that. Did God demand justice? Yes, I think he did, but it's not so much that. I, I think Christ had to die as a man to be man, to be our head, to be the head of mankind, the new Adam that we're in. We don't, we're not going into Romans now, but Adam is the new, the, the new Adam. Uh, excuse me, Jesus is the new Adam. Um, all who believe are born into the body of God and have Christ as, as their um, brother, but also as their head too. And so when we cry out to God and say, save me, God, in faith, believe in Christ. What happens is we're incorporated into that body. And when God, when we sin, when God looks at our sin, he doesn't see our, he, just, he doesn't see Christ, he sees us in Christ. He sees us as part of the body. And that sin falls away. And, and, and one day we'll be cleansed of sin forever. And we will be made whole. Okay? But now we suffer in this body, but by faith we trust that we are in the body of Christ. And that one day we will be physically united with that. Right now we, we tend on our own hollow shells individually. And that's why we're scared. I mean, one of the reasons we're so individual and worried is because we're worried about ourselves. Just as Abraham was worried about, you know, well, my child, what, what can you give me? And God is saying, trust me. Have faith in me and I will deliver. And so that's what this passage is about. That's what it's really talking about. Uh, we're going to deal with, um, we're going to be going on in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction and Abraham once again giving away his wife, which shows that, that even after we become believers, <laughs> we still have problems. Um, and then Abraham being tested with Isaac. Um, let's close in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you that you um, make us part of a body of believers. And I pray we might encourage one another, love one another, grow together uh, with one another. And just thank you for your great love to us. Thank you, Lord, for um, pulling me from a pit. I was sharing with someone else um, uh, this, la- this past week and went out for dinner and, and just um, the uh, pit you pulled me from. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your great love. And I pray that we might live lives that honor you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.